current events, personal values, political and social issues, technology, wars, and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. The latest round of senseless violence has people asking about the right to self-defense. Police refuse to allow Jewish prayer on the Temple Mount has us asking if this will help accelerate Ezekiel 38 and 39. And you've been asking about the dead, unwalled villages, and is there an unfulfilled prophecy in Psalm 83? Those answers plus much more as we look at the signs of the times, our weekly review of Bible prophecy that we find in the world's news for Friday, May 27th, 2022. To subscribe to our podcast, share an episode, or ask a prophecy question, download the WayMedia app or hit us up at thewaymedia.net, which is the only place that you can read the articles that we discuss. And now, here to comb out the matted hair of this world is Pastor Mark, who recently, on a trip to the bookstore, found a book entitled How to Solve 50% of Your Problems. So he bought two of them. Okay. That that would do it. That would pretty much... <laughs> would you had to do the math. Is what, that's why... <laughs> that's why I was calculating. Why you, that's why you delayed was, the laughter. As, as Jethro said, I was ciphering. You were ciphering. I was ciphering. Yes, you were ciphering. <laughs> anyway. Pastor Mark, welcome to the program. It's great to be here. Excited about today, as always. As always, and folks, we're glad that you are here as well. We've got some great listener questions to get into later in our program. Articles, of course. Uh, but first, uh, as Pastor Mark coined it, the elephant in the room. Yes. Uh, we're not going to necessarily talk about the uh, the shooting itself at Uvalde, uh, Texas, at the elementary school, at Robb Elementary. Uh, but we're, we're going to talk about a... Um, a topic that has risen, and many topics have risen out of this whole tragedy. Yeah. Uh, but one of them is, as uh, is, is a pastor, Pastor Mark is getting a lot of questions about the right to self-defense. And, um, you know, we're going to get answers from our founding fathers. And more importantly, we're going to get answers from God's Word. And what God's Word has to say about man's right to self-defense. That's right. And, and again, we have to talk about this, Greg. We talk about elephant in the room. And again, you say, well, what does this have to do? A lot of times, even if something doesn't have to do with prophecy, we need to mention it because it's so large in our society. Yeah. But this is definitely a prophetic question as well, or prophetic subject, because the Bible says, as you know in Second Timothy, that violence will increase in the last days. And so we're going to see more and more violent things taking place. So there is a, certainly a prophetic element to this that's that's that just is important yeah. and i would and i would also add that not only is the violence increasing but the senselessness of the violence right increasing absolutely absolutely and of course that you're going to see more and more of that and first of all our hearts go out to i mean again i can't imagine i was trying to imagine being a parent um being a, even a child there in the school that went through that i can't even imagine so my my prayer has been and we need to pray for them if you've not been praying for them you need to be praying for them for their families i mean just the shock and just the senselessness of of all of it and the violence of all of it for no reason especially against the most vulnerable that we have um the smallest and the weakest and um you know it's amazing to me greg again you'll see certain people that uh, and, and this is where, again, we're going to talk from a biblical perspective. I want to have a biblical perspective conversation because a lot of people immediately jump in political camps. And I realize that politics has invaded this and it's a huge political issue. But this is a, you know, life and death and these kind of things, they're, they're moral issues and they're biblical issues. And so we have to start looking at it from that perspective. First of all, we have to go back and say, now, why in the world did the Founding Fathers even have a Second Amendment? What was the purpose of the Second Amendment? What were they thinking when they did that? They certainly didn't do it because they wanted to go out and say, now, go kill people. Here's guns. Go kill people. They probably no doubt knew that if everybody had guns, sometimes they'd be used the wrong way. 
I mean, you have to know that if you let everybody have guns, not everybody's going to use a gun the right way because we have murder in the world, we have rape in the world, we have evil in the world. So they would have known that. And it gets back to really what, why they did it. Remember, our founding fathers were Christians. Were they perfect Christians? No, you can know that there's no such thing. But they were Christians, and they founded our nation on Christianity and on the principles of uh, the Bible. You know, we have a, a, a they, they talk about the Judeo Christian ethic. It's not a Judeo Christian Christian rule, Judeo Christian law. It's just a Judeo Christian mindset of here's here's how we think. Okay, and what they knew was is man by nature is fallen, and they just come out of Europe. They just come out of the oppression of of you know King George and all that went on with that, and they realized that if you have mankind just unfettered, there's nothing that holds them back. There's no guidelines to what they do, and there's no ability to stop them. Although it's a nice thought to think that everybody will be nice and get along, there's always going to be those who will rise up to try to take power over the others. And if the others can't stop them from taking power, they'll do so. And then once they get into power, they can do whatever they want, i.e. Uh, Mao Zedong, uh, Mussolini, uh, Lenin, um, you know, Hitler. And more recently, we think about all these different people. These are the kind of people that if they can get power and rule over others and abuse them, they will. And so their mindset was, we're going to create a nation where the people can defend themselves. They'll all have weapons. And will those weapons be used wrongly sometimes? Absolutely. We wish they wouldn't, but there's really no way we can stop that because that's mankind. However, the benefit of letting the population have weapons to defend themselves far outweighs um, the few That'll lose their lives. This doesn't diminish the lives that are lost. There's no way. You, how do you put a value on these children? There's no, there is yeah. no value. It's, 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 it's the most horrific thing you can imagine. But the reality is what they knew was there would be leaders that would rise up, put the nation under oppression and end up killing millions like Mussolini did, like these men did, like Hitler did. So the, the mindset was, should we allow people to be defenseless? Leaders to rise up and put millions to death, or do we allow the population to have weapons and some people die wrongfully and horrifically from time to time? It's a horrible choice to make. Right. Um, but they decided that that was the best choice to make. And I have to say that is, in all things considered, the best choice to make. Well, and I would imagine in all of those leaders, and we know specifically with Hitler, uh, his ability to carry out his agenda yeah. was allowed in part by the fact that he criminalized owning firearms and was able, through the legislation, to remove firearms from the citizens there right. in Germany. Right, and that's the political side of it, which comes into play in this. Yeah. We, we can't ignore that. And here's the bottom line, Greg. If, if you allow your leadership to take away your ability to defend yourself, to remove the ability to defend yourself, then they can do the same thing as if you just never let them have them to begin with. Right. So that goes back to the point about the founding fathers. They wanted to make sure that everyone was able to defend themselves so that the larger body could survive, even though there may be um, some, some casualties in between there, as horrific as that is. And you, you see the most horrific with our children. Um, I think about the man who got his arm caught in the rock. There was a famous movie, I think it was 42 hours yeah. or 52 hours or something. Where he cut his arm off. Yeah, he realized, if, yeah. I, if, I don't, if I don't take a smaller loss here, the whole body dies. But there has to be some pain and suffering for me to let the larger body survive. That was the mindset of the Founding Fathers with the Second Amendment. Their thought was, if we don't allow the people to have guns, which does open up a door for some abuses throughout life and history then there'll be leaders that rise up like the Mussolini's and the Hitler's and all, and they'll not only kill a few, like maybe, you know, the, a small number of people, they'll kill millions. And so their mindset was, we have to stop millions from dying and people from being put under oppression on a large scale. So therefore it's worth the second amendment, even though there will be some abuses of the second amendment. Now we've seen that. So that was their argument. And I have to say, I agree with that argument. I do not agree with anyone dying especially our children. And it's amazing to me, Greg, you'll see a lot of those who take a real strong political stand. They have no problem with killing babies before they're born. But mm. if you kill them afterwards, it doesn't fit your political agenda. You're going to jump up and down and scream. I wish they would scream just as much about the baby's lives that are being lost in the womb. But you won't see that because that's politics. And that's why I said I'm, I'm separating out politics from Bible. 
The Founding Fathers based it on the Bible, and they said, the Bible says there's a right to self-defense, and that mankind, because of fallen nature, will oppress others. And so they understood the fallen nature of man. The Bible says in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned, man fell, and because of the fallen sinful nature, man will try to rule over and hurt other men. So we're going to stop, because we understand the Bible, and we understand fallen nature, we're going to stop them from ruling over and hurting other people. Put the Second Amendment in. Again, we see horrible things like what happened. Now what we need to do is discuss how do we stop that. I'll get to that in a moment. Okay. But I want to say, first of all, that was the mindset. Do we let millions die, or do we let there be occasional abuses of it, which are horrible like happened the other day? They decided it was better to let the millions live. And, and you know, in other words, the example of the guy caught in the rock, it's better to lose a hand than it is the whole body die. Although losing a hand is horrific, and, and we all wish things like that didn't happen. I can't even imagine, uh, again, what these families are going through in this situation right now. But that was their mindset. Mankind has fallen. Because mankind has fallen, we need to protect the masses rather than, you know, uh, just allowing the government to run everything because the government will take control and, and damage the masses. That was the idea. They can't do that if the masses have weapons. Again, I agree with that mindset. Now, with that said, where does the Bible declare that we have the right to self-defense. Well, it's in more than one place, but I want to point out a couple of places for you, just the principle of self-defense. The Bible talks about, in Exodus chapter 22, it talks about someone breaking into your house who's trying to steal from you or hurt you. It says, verse 2 there, 22-2, it says, if a thief is found breaking in and he's struck so that he dies, that is, you you have self-defense, he comes in your home and you use a self-defense method and he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. So what God is saying is, you have the right to defend yourself and your family from those that wish to harm you. And it even goes farther than that. It's even for those that were breaking into steel. Of course, again, I don't, you know, the Lord doesn't necessarily, you know, this is somebody coming in your house is even much more higher level of danger, if you will. And so we see that there is the principle of self-defense in Scripture. And this is very interesting. And a lot of people don't realize this, Greg, but Jesus talked about self-defense to some degree in Luke uh, chapter 22, um, speaking to his disciples, and, and this is again Luke twenty two thirty six, and the setting here is that the Lord is talking to his disciples right before he goes to the cross about going out and spreading the gospel. Now, we, let's lay a foundation of this. We know that the Lord wants to go out and save mankind, not hurt them. We're not to go out and be offensive as believers. We're, we're to be defensive and protective and try to save as many as we can. But with the principle Scripture gives, there are evil people out there due to the fallen nature. There are wicked people out there, even demonically possessed. Let me give you an example. If you were to say, well, we're never to defend ourselves and try to use the Bible to defend that with disregarding Exodus and the other passage I'm about to share, you could have been in that hallway with the Bible waiting on that guy to come in a couple days ago, and you could have said, in the name of Jesus, I want you to stop. I want to share the word with you. What you're doing is wrong. He would have shot you and killed you. There are some people that are that evil and that wicked. And you might say, but yes, they should have died and given their life to share the gospel and they shouldn't have anything. Well, okay, but what about all those innocent children that are about to be slaughtered in that classroom? 19 of them and two teachers. You've got to do something to try to stop this this man. This man is wicked. And the point is, once someone reaches that level of wicked and or maybe even demonic possession, there's no way to stop them without physical altercation. So the Bible allows for physical altercation. But Pastor Mark, what about turn the other cheek? Different, different uh, a context. When he's talking about turn the other cheek, what he, the, the idea and the principle is, it's not even so much being smacked or hit or punched, although you, you would be, and that would be something to do. It was, look, don't take revenge. If somebody's attacking you and they're trying to hurt you and it's not a thing that's going to kill you or your family, you know, then forget about it. Let it go. God will deal with that. And there are even times where God will say, yeah, you need to give your life. And you'll know when that is. If there's a time you need to allow someone to kill you, then you, God will show you you need to allow them to kill you for the sake of the gospel. It's called martyrs. You know, We see martyrs all throughout history. So don't confuse turning the other cheek, meaning that a believer is not supposed to be able to use self-defense or that we're not to protect our children in the elementary schools. Um, so there's, there, there are certain people due to the fall that are just too wicked to reason with. You can't reason with them. Well, Jesus knew that, sending his disciples out. He sent them out to go save the world, but he knew as they traveled, they would run into people like that kid that walked, like that 18-year-old that walked in the school and, and killed those students. There are people that will just kill everybody for the sake of killing because they're evil, and we have to be able to stop them. So the Lord said something very interesting in Luke. This is in Luke 22. 
uh, verse 36, speaking to his disciples, he said to them, uh, I'll start in verse 35. He said, now, when I sent you without a money bag and knapsack and sandals, did you lack anything? And they said, well, nothing. And he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that that which is written must still be accomplished in me. He was numbered with the transgressors for things concerning my end. So I'm going to go to, uh, then one of them says, look, Lord, I have two swords. And he says, that's enough. That's enough. And it goes on. Now, you just read that and you think, well, what is he talking about? And do you ever really think about what he's talking about? What's well, interesting, when you look up the word sword there, it is the word makero. Uh, let me see if I said that right. Makera. It's the word makera. And it is a self-defense weapon. It, it wasn't used for anything else. It wasn't used for campfires. It wasn't used to whittle wood. It wasn't used in the kitchen to cook food. It was literally a sword that was sold as a self-defense weapon. It would be the same today as saying a pistol. That's all they had in that day. In essence, what the Lord said is, I'm sending you out among wolves. Be as gentle as doves and sheep. But if you don't have a pistol, buy one. If you don't have a self-defense weapon, get one. Now, a lot of people, just their head will blow off if they hear that. But I'm just quoting the Lord. Jesus, Luke 22, that's what he said. That's what that word means. Now, why would the Lord say that? Again, he wasn't sending them out to go do harm. It is a self-defense weapon. And let me emphasize that. He's saying if you go out there and there's guys like that kid that walk in that school to kill everybody, you need to have something with you to be able to stop that guy and defend those children. You need to be able to defend your wives and, and defend whatever. You need to be able to defend those in your churches. And I believe pastors have responsibility. And we have a security detail here at the church. I'm not afraid to say that. I want that to be known. And so if somebody comes in, they may be able to start shooting, but there's going to be people here, multiple in different places that can stop them quickly. Because again, it takes, you know, we talked about this event yesterday with the police. He started shooting 12 minutes before he went in the building. Where were the police? I'm not judging right now. I'm just simply saying it took forever for them to get there and then to take any action. So we need to be able to defend ourselves. We need to be able to defend our wives. We need to be able to defend our children. And Jesus said, here, you know, do that. Now, it's interesting to me. It doesn't say which disciple it was. But when he said, you know, hey, if you don't have a self-defense weapon, then buy one. That's okay. You need to be able to stop the wicked people in in certain instances, although you may also give your life in other instances. Um, One of them piped up. I've got two. You know, well, that's great. I'm glad you bought, you know, a couple, a couple. And maybe you like guns and you bought. It's not that you can't buy more than that. His point was, look. Don't go out and try to build up an armory. We're not here for war. We're not here for a physical battle. We're not here to go out there and fight with the world with weapons. We're here to save the world. We're here to preach the gospel. We're here to bring peace and joy and love. Um, and if you have a couple of, you know, pistols, that's fine. No problem. A couple of, you know, Makara, that's fine. You want to have them, that's fine. You have your Makara permit, you can do that. <laughs> um, but don't go overboard. Yeah. That's the reality. So. Um, I think this is important for people to know, and I'm speaking especially the body of Christ. We're coming from a biblical perspective here and understand why our founding fathers did this. Now, with that said, then you say, well, Mark, what do we do? How do we stop these horrible things like what happened to these kids? The answer is not to de-arm the nation. A lot of people are jumping up and down on the political side saying, take away their arms, take away everybody's weapons. We saw what happened throughout history with that. You just mentioned what Hitler did. He took everything away and they started killing millions of people. We know mankind. He's fallen by nature. No, the answer is not to take away weapons. The answer is to make sure that the, the citizenry is, is armed. But the answer, number one, is to teach Christ that they're walking in the Spirit so they don't use their weapons in a wrong way. And the second thing is, is you need to put the proper things in place to protect. Like, for example, having maybe multiple police that are armed, they're at these schools, at the entrances, to be there to protect the children should something like, you know, somebody like that come in. If, if somebody walks up and she's the officer standing yeah. at the door, there's two others that can come and stop him before he gets down yeah. the hallway. Yeah, whatever plan or process or procedure that they had in place as a school district for, yeah. you know, their schools was not clearly. It didn't work. It didn't work. It no. was, well, it, it wasn't being, it wasn't that the process was bad or the procedure was bad or the guidelines or whatever you want to call it. It's just that people weren't following through. They right. weren't where they needed to be. Right. They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. And Greg, so. on, a, on a practical level, on a practical level, um, you know, if you take away everybody's, if you take all the weapons away from people who are good people and simply are trying to defend their families, um, the bad guys aren't going to turn theirs in. <laughs> no. <laughs> Which means what you do, if you if you disarm the population, yeah. you effectively 
take away any defense that a, that a good people has, and you now leave all the bad people, the wicked people, armed. And now think about that for a moment. Now, for those that would say, all right, this is a political issue, whatever the case. Look, this is a biblical issue. Yeah. Jesus said in Exodus, you have a right of self-defense. Jesus told his disciples, buy a self-defense weapon if you don't have one. So this is a biblical issue. It's not political. Now, has politics grabbed it? Has politics jumped in the middle of it? Absolutely. I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor. But I tell our people all the time, if I'm driving down the Bible road and I'm teaching the Word of God and a political world issue walks down the middle of the church sanctuary and sits right down in our people as a giant elephant i can't ignore it we have to talk about it so when the shooting took place all the conversation that's happening even coming up in the church it has to be talked about uh, I, I personally am not going to become a politician i'm not going to pursue politics i think some people may be called to that praise the lord if you're called to that go for it i think there's a place we see that daniel god put him right in the middle of a political situation his whole life and he was able to do both the spiritual and the political but and i'm not saying i but i, I deal with political issues when they get in the church like this one but but why am i dealing with it i'm not trying to be political i'm simply saying this is a biblical issue explaining why the founding fathers did it it's based in scripture the rationale behind it and then uh what do we do from here now one last thing, and then we'll, I know we have a, a lot of show to go. Sure. But one last okay. thing, and if, yeah. we, and if there's more, we can talk longer. But one last thing I want to say is, um, speaking of this issue in, in relation to all of this, you know, is, is, is if you're having an issue with this, if you're screaming at the radio right now, I can't believe this pastor's saying this, I want you to stop for just a moment and ask yourself why. What are you upset with? Are you upset because I shared the scripture? Or, or let me back up. Are you upset because it doesn't match your view? And so you're all upset because it doesn't match your view. Or are you upset based on something that is wrong that in the scripture that, that you don't like? Listen. If this is something in the scripture you don't like, where it shows in Exodus 22 that God teaches self-defense and Jesus in Luke 22 teaches self-defense. If that's something that you don't like based on the Bible, if you consider yourself a believer, I think you need to just maybe take a deep breath and pray and say, Lord, is what this pastor is saying, is this accurate scripturally? Is, is this his political viewpoint or is he truly trying to teach the Bible, which is what I'm doing? Um, I'm not interested in making strong political stands on either side. My job as a pastor is to teach the Bible. And that's what the Bible teaches. You've got to decide if I have an issue, is it with the Bible or is it my politics? And I would encourage you, if you're a true believer, you've got to make your politics fall under the word of God. God's word comes first, then your political viewpoints. You cannot put your politics over God's word. Because if you do that, you're going to be led by the flesh and you're going to get right into this whole fleshly battle, you'll never win the spiritual battle in politics. You're not going to do it. You'll never, this is a fleshly battle. You've got to get to the Word of God, say, what does God's Word say on this subject? And um, what is my, how, how do I fight this? You fight it through prayer and through the Word of God. And so, again, I, I, I hope I laid it out clearly. I know that not everyone may agree or not agree, but again, my job is simply to say, here's what the Bible teaches, and then let you run with that, and, and as, as it says in Acts 17 and 11, don't believe me just because I say it. Go to the Word. Run back to Exodus 22. Read it yourself. Go to Luke 22. Do a word study. Get your strong concordance out. Look that word up when he says sword. Find out what it was used for. And ask yourself, why would the Lord have them buy one? And when you begin to look at all the facts and put them all together, you'll come to a very subtle conclusion that our founding fathers, in putting the Second Amendment, it was not just... So that the citizenry would be able to protect themselves from a rogue government such as a Mussolini or a Lenin or a, a Stalin or a Hitler. Or you put their name, whatever name you put in there. It wasn't just for that, which is a good enough reason. I mean, that's a good logical reason to do it. Um, it was because it was biblical and they understood that man is fallen by nature and has an evil sin nature. And that Satan is able to manipulate that. And the only way to stop a Satan manipulated evil nature is oftentimes in a physical sense. 
And so God does give us, you know, the Proverbs talks about it. You know, God sends an evil messenger, uh, you know, or, or sends a messenger against those that are evil to stop them and all. There's all kinds of scriptures we yeah. could go on. I, I won't take any more time on this, but I felt we talked about the elephant in the room. You've heard my statement on it. Um, I come from a biblical perspective, and I'll let you take that to the Lord with those scriptures I shared and go from there. Well, I think it emphasizes the need for all of us to allow the Bible to be the arbiter of our politics and uh, yeah. in social issues. Yeah, absolutely. You know, let, let the Bible be the deciding factor, you know, kind of like uh, Solomon when the two women yeah. came to Solomon with the baby. Yeah. You know, great wisdom was applied to get to the truth, yeah. the heart of the matter. Yeah. And the Bible will do that. Yeah. For and us. again, and again, make sure you don't find yourself being a hypocrite. You know, Jesus rebuked the hypocrites very firmly. And what I mean by that is. If you've got an issue with our children being killed once they're born, you should have the same anger and violence in your heart, or same anger, not violence, but same anger and aggr- uh, passion, yes. is what I want, yeah. when our children are being killed before they're born. Yeah. It shouldn't change, because anything different than before or after yeah. is simply hypocrisy. You're listening to Signs of the Times. It's our weekly review of Bible prophecy in the world's news on WIAM LP Knoxville. You could be listening to this as a podcast later on as episode number 217. Either way, we thank you for joining us. You've got mail. Before we get into articles, Pastor Mark, uh, let's knock out some listener questions. These Absolutely. are some good ones this week. Our first one uh, comes from Alinda, who enjoys Signs of the Times here in Knoxville. And her question is regarding uh, Psalm 83. She says in Psalm 83, where it talks about a confederacy against Israel, uh, Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon, and Amalek, Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre and Assyria also has joined them. Paraphrasing there what uh, Psalm 83 says. Uh, she goes on to say, I heard a teaching saying that this may be a future event, but since it mentions Philistia and Tyre, and those were both destroyed, wouldn't this be a past event, or could this be one of those dual prophecies? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think you know a lot of times when you hear different viewpoints on something from people that are Bible students, I think you come to the right conclusion that this very well could be a dual prophecy. The answer is, if you go out there and you really look at the Scripture and see what it says and look at all the different people involved, um, you could make a good argument that it's still yet future, and you could make a really good argument that it's past, because you bring up a great point in this whole thing, Linda, and that is, um, you know, there is no, the Philistines are gone. Tyre is, is, is not really Tyre at this moment, but the Philistines, there, there are no Philistines. We even know that genetically. Now that we can do DNA, Philistines have been, have been eradicated. So to say that the Philistines are involved, you go, well, that can't be. So I definitely believe this was something that took place earlier. Um, and was it co- totally completed earlier? There are those who would say yes. Do I leave the door open to the possibility there could be a, a complete fulfillment of it later? Absolutely, because some of these could join in in the Ezekiel 38 and 39. Some could join in when it comes to Armageddon. I guess an answer, and it may not satisfy, is we can't know 100% for sure. I know there are some teachers out there that say 100% for sure this happened and it's already taken place. Um, and there are some that say 100% for sure this hadn't happened. Um, but I think there's good arguments for both. And again, what I found is, is when there's good arguments for both, it oftentimes comes back to a dual prophecy. So it may very well be that. And I think this is a very, um, uh, astute question, uh, that you, that you've made here. So I guess the question is, we'll just have to wait and see, um, if it has or hasn't. We do know that either way, these future battles are going to take place. So there's going to be more battles there in Israel. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it's this specific one in Psalm 83 or not, we'll just have to wait and see, uh, because it's hard to nail down due to the questions that you brought up, Linda. And again, your observations, which I say are, are astute is very well observed. Very good. Pastor Mark, our next question comes from Christy, who enjoys Signs of the Times as she writes it. The birthplace of the Texas flag in Montgomery, <laughs> Texas. Yes, yeah, a bit of Texas pride going on yes. there. I'm glad you're joining us, Christy. Uh, her question is regarding the dead. Uh, she said, I recently read The Rapture by Pastor Mark Kirk. Oh, how about that? <laughs> uh, he references 1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18 on page 9. The part that says, and the dead in Christ will rise first, made me wonder about people who have already died. Does this mean believers who have already died are waiting on the Lord's return as well? When someone dies, you commonly hear, they are with the Lord, they have gone to heaven, they are rejoicing with the angels. If your spirit goes to either heaven or hell when you die, who are the dead in Christ 
that will rise first? Aren't these great questions? Yes, I they mean, are. These are really, really great questions. I'm not saying that to try to build anybody up and, and just be, you know, uh, whatever, patronizing. This is a great questions, and I think things we have to work through as believers. And let me just start out by saying, Christy, there, there's, as you know, there's the physical life and there's the spiritual life. So there's two types of life the Bible talks about. Uh, the physical life is temporary. Obviously, the spiritual life is eternal. And so when it talks about these passages where the dead in Christ will rise first, first of all, we have to recognize that the Bible tells us in Corinthians that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we lay a foundation of what we know first. And that is we know that when these bodies stop, the physical bodies, our spirit lives on and it is with the Lord. Tells us that clearly in Scripture. So there's no soul sleep. We don't temporarily go out for a while and come back. No, we immediately transfer from this body into the presence of the Lord. But we don't yet have our eternal body. And that's what this is talking about. Um, there are some who do believe we get our eternal body the, the moment we die, and we may find out that that's the case. However, I don't stand in that camp. I'm not going to condemn those who do, but I don't stand in that camp because it doesn't answer questions like this out of Thessalonians that really you can't find any, any other answer to. And it doesn't mean we have all the answers. But what I believe he's talking about here, Christy, is simply this, and that is that our dead bodies will rise to be with Christ. That is the dead in Christ. Our bodies are the dead part of the body, the, the body and the spirit. The dead part, which is the body, is waiting, the dust, etc. The Lord will take that, transform it into a new body, and then we'll get our new bodies at the rapture of the church. And I believe that God is waiting till the whole bride is gathered together to give the whole bride their body at one time. Uh, that's why it says in Thessalonians that those who have died earlier will not, will not be after those that have, you know, they, they won't, those that died first won't, won't uh, come secondly. They're going to precede those who are dying right now. So it appears that when the rapture takes place, There'll be a split, just twinkling of an eye moment where everybody that died before the rapture will get their bodies and then we'll get our bodies right after that. Kind of God being fair. They were first. They get their spot first and we get, a, but you, you know, you won't even notice the difference, but God in his fairness will do that. And then we'll all have our new bodies and be there. So when it speaks of the dead in Christ, it's speaking of the dead bodies that are there. They're very much alive in spirit because of what it says in Corinthians. We know that, but the bodies will be rejoined. Uh, and that's when we get our resurrected body. Now, uh, you might be saying, well, um, you, you know, you get the resurrected body at that time. So, you know, what about, um, and I have another point I want to make on this. My mind just went blank on that. I apologize. But I think that's, that's the main point I want to make is that our bodies will be rejoined with our new, oh yeah, the dust. That's what it was, the dust. Then what about our bodies now? How does God find all that dust? You know, we all mm-hmm. died and we all turned to dust and the whole earth has been churned up and, you know, things have been from plants to animals. It's everywhere. Listen, God is God. He knows where your dust is. It's like a lot of times people that talk about the 10 lost tribes of Israel because, you know, they got separated. You had 10 tribes taken right. captive and, two, right. and they say, well, nobody knows where they are. How could God regather the tribes? Like God can't find them. Yeah. Like God is so weak, like man, that he can't find them. God knows where they yeah. are. He's going to regather them. God knows where our dust is when we die and he's going to regather it and give us a new body. Think about this for a minute, just in terms of the power of God. You know. The Bible tells us a, a few things about the Lord and his sovereignty, and one of those things is that he sees everyone everywhere. Now, think about that in terms of power. Yeah. Then the Bible says that if he can see you, then he can also hear you. Yeah. But then the Bible even goes further and says that he knows the thoughts of man. He knows what's in your heart before it even comes out of your mouth. That's right. Now, we tend to focus, and I suppose rightly so to a certain extent, you know, apply that verse or the, the, those those spiritual, those or biblical precepts, rather, to ourselves. Yeah. But you've got to think he's the God of the universe. He's the God of all. So he is able to do that with all seven, eight billion, however many people are on the earth, on top of the fact that the Bible goes even further and says, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. That's right. That's right. Okay, now put that in computing terms and the power that it would take to be able to watch and listen and do all those things. 
I mean, it's it's incredible, yeah. which is why we know prophetically when the Antichrist is going to try to mimic all of these things, that's why electronic control is going to be so important for him, because he doesn't have the spiritual sovereignty right. that God has to do all these that's things. That's right. You're exactly yeah. right. So God has it under control. Under control. That's right. All right, Pastor Mark, our last question comes from Jeremy, also from the state of Texas, but he hails from San Antonio. Not sure where San Antonio is in relation to Montgomery, but... Somewhere in the Lone Star yes, State. Yes, yes. Uh, and his question uh, goes as follows. He says, I, have a, I had a good discussion with a fellow believer who told me that the war Ezekiel is talking about in chapters 38 and 39 cannot happen anytime soon because Israel is not at peace. My questions and my thoughts. Is Ezekiel talking about a total and complete confirmed peace, or could it be that Ezekiel was writing down just what he saw literally? In Ezekiel's day, a city was not secure unless there was a large wall around that city. However, in the year 2022, cities do not have visible walls. I am sure that that was a shock to him when he saw present-day Israel with all her cities without walls and without gates and bars. And then the second part is, is Israel a peaceful and unsuspecting people as described there in Ezekiel? Every war or battle that they have fought has been a defensive one. They are even willing to give up large areas of land if it means that they can have peace. My friend pointed uh, back to Iran and the recent exchange of fire with Russia and as the AI, or IAF continues to hit points in Syria as examples of them being a nation that's not at peace. Again, great another great question. I love all of our Texas people yes. listening, Jeremy. It's great to have you joining us. I'm glad our, we're getting a little Texas following going down there. It's exciting. But again, great question, Jeremy. Let's talk about this. Um, first of all, this is a great teachable moment today, Greg, because we got back to this has been a day of foundations. We started out talking about the whole issue of the Second Amendment and the Founding Fathers and looked at the foundation of why they did it. Man's fallen nature and then realizing that if you didn't let the people defend themselves, you'd have rulers that took them over and not just a few die here and there, but millions die and that whole thing. Then we talked about the last question, uh, laying the foundation first, you know, as far as, uh, you know, what does God say about, about these issues that we're talking about? Here's another foundational question that we come to in this and let's lay the foundation first. First of all, the Bible says that in the last days, Israel will never have complete peace ever. How do we know that? Zechariah chapter 12, it's going to get more intense and more intense and more intense, and all the nations will eventually turn against Israel. So it's we're on a trajectory now in the last days where Israel's going to be have less peace the farther we go along and more people against them. There's the foundation. Once that's in place, that really answers the question. But let's talk about it. Because the question is, could they could they possibly have peace? Because right now they don't have peace. The answer is. They will never have complete peace, the Bible tells us, until Jesus Christ comes back. So if you're looking at peace under our understanding of peace, such as you have no enemies, everybody's smiling and singing together, and we're all working as a team, the Bible says that will never happen in the last days for Israel because it is a spiritual battle where Satan is attacking them. So if someone says Ezekiel 38 and 39 can't take place because Israel's not at peace, what that means is Ezekiel 38 and 39 can never take place. There will never be the kind of peace that person, Jeremy, that was talking to you, there'll never be that kind of peace they're talking about. The Jews will never have complete peace with their neighbors. So there has to be a certain level of unrest, and yet, when it says they'll be at peace, what it means is they will be at peace in the sense of they'll have their own nation, their own sovereignty, their own self-defense, their own borders, and, and for example, when I go over there now and visit, you know, I've been over there 12 times. It's a nation at peace. Yeah. Do they have their enemies that hate them? But you can freely go to a restaurant, get food, buy a home, buy land, travel the nation. That's what he means. It's, it's a limited peace, but it is a nation that is at peace. Like it said in the last days, just not the kind of peace that your friend is trying to think about, but you have to realize that kind of peace will never happen for Israel, or might I add, the rest of the world until Jesus Christ comes back, for a first question. Uh, when when the Bible talks about uh, things that the prophets were seeing, and they did their best to describe them, yeah. could it be when Ezekiel saw Israel unwalled, yeah. because of the culture of the day that Ezekiel was in, that that would have intimated to Ezekiel that they would that they were you know, at peace. Exactly. But, exactly. But it also says they're unsuspecting. 
So how does that play in? Yeah, and I want to yeah. get to that second sure, part. Yeah. So, so again, when you got to remember when Ezekiel was seeing this vision, this would have been shocking to him. Because in that day, all the villages had walls. If you didn't have walls, you were just you were taken down in no time. Your enemies were coming to wipe you out. You had to build walls around each of the cities and villages, or you couldn't survive. Now that it's a nation that's at peace under the limited definition that we just talked about, like the Bible talks about, because there are no more walls around the cities. They don't need them. They have their self-defense system. They have their iron dome. They have their walls around their nation. Okay. Yeah. So he's talking about within the nation. So, so first of all, they, they do have peace to that level. And that's what Ezekiel was seeing. So Ezekiel would have been shocked to see that. It would have been, why don't they have walls? What's going on with that? Um, but when you say, are they unsuspecting? Very much so. Now, what do I mean by that? They're, first of all, are they on alert? Very much so. They're one of the most alert on guard nations you'll ever go to. They're watching all the time. They're, they're military. Everybody has to join the military for two years when you hit 18 years old, unless there's some kind of religious exemption like the Hasidics, uh, Jews do. But even now they're going to start requiring them to do it. But they do that because they, and they carry their weapons with them everywhere they go. You'll see people dressed in just their normal blue jeans and a shirt and they'll have like a AK-47 over their shoulder because they're military during the two years of 18 to 20. And that is, I tell you what, I'm there, it makes me feel safe. But the reality is they're always watching their neighbors around them because so many people want to destroy them. But what it means is, they're so, so yes, they're on alert, but they're at peace because they have their defense system in place. And when you say unsuspecting, which is the second part of that question, I do believe, although they're very alert at the enemies that hate them and the, the, the terrorists and suicide bombers, they're very alert about that. Greg, I believe very much so they're very unsuspecting of what's coming upon them with the nations around them. Well, I was going to say, yeah, the magnitude of which Ezekiel's describing yes. this invasion. Yes. yes, they have no idea that Russia is going to attack them. They don't believe that. If you ask them, is Russia going to attack? They'll say, no, they're not going to attack. We have, a, we have a peace agreement with Russia. They have no... So are they unsuspecting? Absolutely unsuspecting. So everything Ezekiel talked about, them being at peace... They are, under the definition I told you about, the biblical definition that we have. Um, or, or do they have unwalled villages? They do. Um, are they unsuspecting that anybody would come, like Russia, trying to come across the border and wipe them out? Absolutely. So all the things that Ezekiel said are perfectly in place for the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle to take place. And so I would encourage your friend, and he probably has not thought it through. I'm not picking on him, but I would encourage your friend, um, if he thinks that they're not at peace right now, what does he think is going to happen different that they're suddenly going to have all their neighbors liking them? That will never happen. Their neighbors are going to hate them because it is a spiritual battle and a cultural battle, and they're going to hate them until the Lord comes back. So they are at peace as much as they can be at peace. They are unsuspecting, although they're watching, and so they are perfect sitting ducks, and they're perfectly primed for what Ezekiel said. No no walls in their villages because they have peace within their nation, and they're ready for the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle. Yeah. All right. Uh, also, just a shout out to Vincent, I think, in uh, California, who had a question about uh, what to what to leave behind for those after the rapture. Yes. Uh, w- Pastor Mark's uh, addressing that behind the scenes, trying to gather information, and we will contact and, you, and we'll let our people know as well. And let me make a quick comment, sure, too, yeah. because yeah, cause here's, the, here's the bottom line. I looked at some resources out there. There are some good resources from what I've found, but also some questionable things. And, and I would just say this, you know, say, well, what if that happens tomorrow? Look. Write a letter that tells the gospel and what happened to you and leave it behind at your home and leave them some resources. Go buy some resources. You can make your own resource kit right there. Uh, we're going to look to try to put something maybe we can put together here. I'm looking into that. But for right now, write a letter telling them what happened. Find a book or two that tells what happened. Leave it for them and let them know they can still be saved if they miss this mass exodus. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Pastor Mark. Let's get into articles for the time that we have left here on this Friday, May 27th. Uh, Let's go to Israel365news.com, talking about the Temple Mount police refusing to comply with a court order to allow Jewish prayer. Yeah, um, interesting. You know, this is an interesting conclusion about her, Greg. Let me just say, first of all, on the Temple Mount, nobody can pray. Not just the Jews, but Christians can't. Muslims are the only ones allowed to pray. I remember one of the first trips I went... I did a little Bible study up there with a couple of people reading the Word, and I prayed. And everything. Did you bring your Bible up there? I had my I Bible. I had a there. small little Bible. I wasn't trying to hide it because I didn't know I couldn't. Yeah. I didn't know I couldn't take it up there. I just had it in my pocket, and they didn't find it. I took it out. I'm reading it, and then I prayed over the temple. And I saw this guy that was a Muslim just pacing back and forth, watching me the whole time. And I thought, Wow, why are you watching me so much? Just because I have a Bible? I mean, I'm like I realized there was tensions. I didn't know that it was a a really uh, you know bad thing there, so to speak. But anyway, I want to say that first of all. 
Um, so you have an understanding of, of what it's like. You're not allowed to do that, but the Jews are allowed, and the, and the Torah says they can. So notice what happened here. On Monday, the Jerusalem Magistrates Court ruled in favor of three young Jewish men who the police had barred from the Temple Mount for bowing to God and reciting the Shema. That is, the hero of Israel, the Lord our God is one. Judge Zion Sahare said that he did not consider bowing down and reciting a prayer sufficient cause to curtail freedom of religion for fear that it would cause disturbance on the site. The teens were arrested last week and given a 15-day restraining order prohibiting them from entering the old city in Jerusalem. Uh, if the application for the restrictive conditions are in it, the police claim that the, their conduct may lead to a violation of public order. But it says it should be noted that the Torah, that is the first five books of the Bible, commands Jews to prostrate themselves on the Temple Mount. And it is strictly forbidden for a Jew to prostrate himself in prayer at any other location. I didn't realize that. In his ruling on the appeal on Sunday, the judge wrote, in my opinion, it is not possible to say that bowing and reciting the Shema holds a reasonable suspicion of conduct that may lead to a breach of peace. So, in other words, let him do it. But the police responded saying the judge, the judge has intentionally misrepresented Shabtai's statements to support his ruling. So they're basically saying, saying we're not going to obey the judge uh, because he's not doing it properly. Sounds like another nation I know right now where people are in rebellion. I'll, I'll tell you, listen, what does the Bible say? Here's another yeah. prophetic sign. First of all, we know they're going to be back on the temple Mount praying before too yeah. long. Uh, the Antichrist is going to rebuild the third temple. But remember this, lawlessness will abound, and we're already seeing the headwinds of the storm of lawlessness. It's in our nation. It's in Israel. It's around the globe. And this is just another story that confirms it. Yeah. All right, uh, let's head back to America, Pastor Mark, and visit ChristianPost.com, where we find a recent survey reveals nearly 40% of Gen Z adults believe Jesus was not sinless. How destructive to the gospel, and I'll say this, this proves that we're not teaching the Bible to the next generation, because the Bible very clearly declares Jesus was and is sinless. A new study suggests that nearly one in four Gen Zs Believe Jesus sinned like everyone else. Um, what is it? Polling by the American Bible Society said the uh, in, in its latest State of the Bible report found 38 percent of people from 18 to 25 believe Jesus committed sins. Uh, the result is roughly in line with Gen X, 37 uh, percent, millennials, 35 percent, baby boomers, 35. Uh, and the, again, the bottom line: they've not been taught the Bible. But note this: interesting. It says Americans. 77 and older statistically have higher numbers of belief that he was sinless. Why? Because they grew up being taught the Bible. That was our, that was the older generation. Um, you know, and, and here's something I want to say. Well, I'll give you one scripture out of many for those that are wondering, does the Bible say that? Second Corinthians 521 says this, for our namesake, Jesus made himself to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice he became sin, although he knew no sin. And let me just make this last statement to drive this home. What the Bible teaches is this. If Jesus sinned, no one can be saved. And here's why. It had to be a sinless, perfect sacrifice on the cross to satisfy the Father in heaven for everyone else's sin as a man on earth. So if Jesus had sinned, his death would have not satisfied the legal aspect of God's law in heaven, and nobody could go to heaven. So if Jesus sinned, all of us are condemned. But he didn't sin. He was sinless, as the Bible says. And so it just shows, uh, again, the need to teach the Word of God to this and our next generation uh, adamantly and clearly. Yeah, absolutely. And we could also look at the Jewish feasts as well in the Passover uh, to illustrate that. Well, yes, this music should tell you one thing. <laughs> It's time to talk about our one world government. Uh, Our first story, uh, because both of them are equally ominous. Uh, The first one is from Breitbart.com. Luke chapter 12. Yes, or somewhere along there. Uh, Klaus Schwab, who might as well put on a Darth Vader outfit. No kidding. uh, Praises the Davos elites, saying the future is built by us. The future is built by us. Yes, yes. this guy, I'll tell you, this guy's a scary character, but founder and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, which I think right now Satan is really using to help mold this world union, this one world government, on Monday greeted members of the global elites gathering in Davos, Switzerland with the salute 
The future is built by us, by a powerful community, and you here in this room. They called this uh, the conference this year, they titled it History at a Turning Point. That's the thing on emphasis. They're saying this is the moment that we need to, t- to turn history our direction. Or fulfill prophecy. Right. But the full name, History at a Turning Point, Government and Business Strategies. So we'll use government business to turn history to fulfill the scripture. Uh, <laughs> it's a theme for the 2022 uh, WEF. Again, this is interesting, Greg, because WEF, they said a bunch of wrestlers showed up confusing. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. Confused. They said, no, 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 it no, sounds go like home. a wrestling it's, match. No, go home. It's not the WWF. It's yes. the WEF. Or WWE. Thank you. WWE. Yes. And so they were, there was a little bit of uh, bionic elbow. You know, the Klaus Schwab could use some bionic elbow, I think. But either way. Oh, um, my. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's funny. It's all scripted. So it is. It there is. you go. Yeah, but this here's the thing. This is not fake. No. On the, on the evidence delivered uh, one day... Uh, at the famous Swiss ski resort, Schwab very much sees his organization at the forefront of shaping the world of tomorrow. I do, too. I think Satan's using this organization. One last quote. The future is not just happening. The future is being built by us, by a powerful community, as you see here in this room. We have the means to improve the state of the world. And these guys, they're literally <laughs> they, they saying believe, we want to run yes, the world. Yes, they believe it. Yeah. But two conditions are necessary, and he outlined these things. You know, we have to work as a community, blah, blah, blah. It's nonsense. But the bottom line is, look. The Bible says, again, prophecy tells us there will be a one-world government. Uh, we wondered how it would come together. I truly believe that this whole uh, WEF, these guys are, are being used to form this one-world government. Keep your eye on this. They're making some very, very ominous and, and just uh, biblical statements that they probably don't even know are biblical. But, Greg, we're watching this one-world government come together under this leadership. And even their timeline, to me, is very interesting. So, Well, working in lockstep with the WEF is the WHO, there you go. the World Health Organization. This is from the Brownstone Institute, revealing that the World Health Organization organization pandemic treaty is being tied to a global digital passport yep. and id system why how prophetic and they are working with wef you're right greg they're yes. working together oh, they're to get working this. together they want to run the world and these guys are teaming up because yeah. you need the digital passport and digital all ID the acronyms to do have to work together there you go as a matter of fact they're saying now that we probably have to digital money by the end of the year worldwide that's their goal but we'll see if it happens but yeah. they're meeting in december 2021 a special session for only the second time since um horton here's a who's founding in 19 <laughs> 1948, the Health Assembly of the WHO adopted a single decision titled The are World you? Together, right? Uh, I say, you know, boil that dust speck, boil that dust speck, right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the WHO plans to finalize the treaty by 2024. It will aim to shift governing authority now reserved to sovereign states to the WHO during a pandemic by legally binding member states to the WHO's revised international health regulations. The proposed amendment include, among others, the following. Among the changes, the WHO will no longer need to consult the state that, listen to this, if this passes, the World Health Organization will not need to consult the state, that is any nation or state, America and everybody else included, or attempt to attain even verification that a real thing has started, pandemic, if a state reports an event of concern. And allegedly, it will take action on the basis of such reports. Let me, let me, let me summarize this. They're saying there's going to be a digital passport system watching everyone, and the leaders of the WHO will have authority over America's constitution and every other nation if this passes, saying, oh, we heard there was an outbreak in Tennessee. Uh, we haven't verified it yet, but because of that, we're locking Tennessee down, and we're declaring a pandemic in the United States of America. And everybody's got to shut down, put on masks, and stop everything you're doing. Just because they said that, they have the right and the power to do that. And you say, well, wait a minute. Um, they can't do that because what if our government doesn't let them do that? What if our government doesn't enforce it? In the treaty, it says, if the, the nation or state that won't go along, they can send in other nations and states to go on that territory and enforce it, which means you could send China into America to enforce in Tennessee that we have a lockdown and we're masked. China soldiers could do that under this treaty. And Greg, here, yeah, but we have our guns. Do we? Do we? What happens if out of emotion, everyone goes to remove the rights of Americans to defend themselves? Let's say that's successful. The Second Amendment is dropped. Weapons are taken away. The government doesn't care. They don't stop it, but they won't do anything. And so China comes in and they enforce this. You may say, and that sounds like so far-fetched. No, that is in the treaty. Go read it. Go look at it. This is not conspiracy yeah. theory. This is simply doing homework. It is there, and it's pretty freaky. But yes. again, I'm, th- I'm thankful the Lord's in control. Yeah, amen. All right, uh, let's get to our smorgasbord of yuck, pestilence, plagues, disasters, and corruption. 
Let's uh, head to NBC News, Pastor Mark, where we find the monkeypox outbreak. Yeah. The CDC investigating four suspected cases as it works to get vaccine to high-risk contacts. That, so they've already got a vaccine for this thing. Unbelievable. So is, is, is monkeypox, is that, that's, I, I was supposed a known thing for some time. Oh yeah, monkeypox okay. has been around a long, long time. time. It's yeah. it's kind of like chicken pox. It's there a different go. kind of pox, if you will. Uh, right now, it's pretty much only spreading between the um, same-sex community, so it hasn't really breached that avenue. It's in that, that group, but they're saying it could jump from there and, and whatever. But Greg, this is the thing. The first case was confirmed last week uh, by a man in Massachusetts, the suspected cases under investigation include one in New York City, one in Florida, one in Utah. Officials said the CDC is working to acquire a distribution of a small amount of doses of monkeypox vaccine. Uh, the majority of current cases have been reported to be against same-sex relationships, etc. That article goes on. Anyway, here's my point. This is amazing. They've already bought something like 14 million doses of monkeypox vaccine. Um, which uh, we don't know whether or not it's mRNA based like the COVID or, or the others. We don't know. When it's only limited right now in a certain people group and it's not spreading, it doesn't, it's not airborne. You have to come in contact with liquid from someone's body. That's why it's happening in, in a sexual context at this right. point. Yeah. Um, and so there's all these different things. But what's amazing about this is they discussed last year, they talked about an outbreak of monkeypox in May 2022 and we need to be prepared. And the government a few months ago bought the monkeypox vaccines and now this May 2022, guess what comes on the scene? I, I look. I, I, all I'm saying is these are the facts. Yeah. You do with it as you will. I think there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that is planned, and there are things happening that you used to could say conspiracy, conspiracy. And now it's kind of like um, we need to open our eyes. Yeah, people are doing things and they're planning things and enacting things for their agenda. And if we don't wake up and stop just thinking that nothing's going on, we're going to be deceived. there's enough facts out there now and reality for us to say, look, we need to have eyes wide open. It doesn't change what we do as Christians. Gospel, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But we need to be aware so that we know how to prepare our people and that we know how to reach our community around us. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get to the church. Let's do it. Christian headlines. 44% of pastors say members' political views are problematic and challenging. Well... (laughs) Uh, yeah, Scott McConnell said congreg- uh, congregations are filled with many opinions. The executive director of Lifeway Research said it's not easy to bring a congregation's focus to a few things um, that do not matter or, or to things that do things to do together that matter. People obsession with non-essentials, politics and the like for change all hamper a pastor's ability to provide leadership. Let me just say very quickly, even the subject we started out with could be divisive and part of the body of Christ. What do we do as pastors? What do we do as the body of Christ? Don't be afraid to address the issues that are right in front of you based on Scripture, but don't go overboard on non-essentials. Again, if you start doing that, that's when the body of Christ is divided. They tried to divide Jesus. Remember, they said, should we pay taxes? And there was a revolt against the government that day about paying taxes. He said, look, look, whose picture's on this? Okay, Caesar's. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. Give to the government what is theirs rightfully and make sure you keep the churches the churches. Try to find the balance. Pastors, don't be afraid to address what needs to be addressed. And sometimes, yeah, it may cause division, but we have to be faithful to the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Pastor Mark, for the time that we have left, let's get to some good news from Christian headlines as well. Former Muslim woman turns to Jesus after Jesus came to her in a vision. Yes. Uh, Nikta, who moved to California from Toronto early age, explained she became religious in Islam, but then went into rebellion. On a trip back to Iran later on, uh, Nikta recalls that Jesus Christ came to her in a vision. And encourage her to follow him. Greg, we hear that. I hear that so much. A lot. In these Muslim countries where the gospel can't be freely preached. Jesus goes to his kids in visions. It says, he looked at me and communicated with me, follow me. I couldn't audibly hear him say it, but I knew that's what he meant. Uh, She took to Google to try to identify who it was. She didn't know who it was. She said, I saw this vision of someone didn't know who it was to follow. Mm. And she looked up someone who who, who had at least the, the, the robe or whatever and found Jesus Christ looked that way and realized he confirmed it was him talking to her. And now she's a follower of Jesus Christ. And again, we hear these people, Greg, all the time following the Lord in these Muslim countries because God reaches out to them. And you know what I want to end with again, um, telling for those who don't know the Lord, 
He loves you, and if you will follow him, you too will know him. Do I have time for a quick prayer for the people in Texas? Go. Uh, Father, we just lift up those families in Texas right now, and we pray, God, you would send your mercy and your grace to them. I pray that if there's any that don't know you that have been affected by this, you would use this to draw them to you. Use this tragedy. God, make beauty from ashes and have mercy on those hurting people in Texas and give wisdom to our spiritual leaders in America and help there be a reasonable discussion about how we protect our children moving forward while still having our nation protected under you so we thank you lord and we thank you for this time just to share your word today and ask it in jesus name amen amen pastor mark thank you folks thanks for watching or listening however you're consuming our content we appreciate your time and we invite you to visit our website at thewaymedia.net where you can find all things signs of the times related as well as other programming that we offer through the website and through our app. We trust that you will have a great Memorial Day weekend and that you can join us here next Friday at 1.30 as we continue to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today are pointing to God's Word as signs of the times. gentleness and compassion to show up choose peace and when you do you can expect joy and hope to drop by they make good company but there are other choices you could make take bitterness for instance it's good friends with anger and resentment choose bullying and it pushes friendship away everyday choices have long-term consequences those long-term consequences affect everyday choices Maybe that's why paying attention to choices just makes sense. It creates a cycle that can be good or bad. God offered a list that looks a lot like what His everyday choices look like. Things like love, joy, peace, being kind, being good, being gentle. The better you become at making these choices, the more you'll make these choices. And the best news is you always have God's help. So make your everyday choices.